Let them see him talk tonight. Talk tonight about something that's really very exciting. A law that is just as unchangeable, just as unbreakable, just as certain, and that operates just as often as does the law of gravity. The law of the harvest. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 5. I'll read verses 5 through 11. I'm reading tonight, uh, all night long, from the New American Standard Bible. Excellent translation, very close to the original. If you're carrying another fine translation, you'll want to follow anyway and see how they compare and keep the Bible handy as the message will simply develop the text. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 5. Paul says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. As you read that, you may wonder, now, what is Paul talking about? He's mixing himself up. He's talking about giving of possessions and he's talking about joy. He's talking about giving things and receiving thanksgiving to God and a happy life. Why is he getting it all mixed up together? You know, we have a tendency to do that kind of thing. We have a way of separating life into compartments. God in the church and that part of our life which we may perform very well in is over here. Then there is business, our home, uh, other places, recreation, school, whatever it may be. But above and beyond all of that, there is a separate area where we say really, whether we mean it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, now it's fine to be religious. I believe in God and I want to be a good person, but there comes a time when I've got to be realistic and if I can't see it in black and white and balance the ledger and see how God's going to do what, then I won't do it. Better be careful, friends. That's not Christianity. That's humanism. Christianity is a God-centered religion. Anything that does not center in God is humanism, and humanism and theism, God-centered religion, don't have any relationship to each other. God's laws and God's principles are not affected by the economy, nor are they affected by circumstances. And as long as God lives, 
His word is valid and his laws will work. They're unbreakable. Now, the thing about the law of the harvest is either you sow and you reap or you don't sow and you don't reap. So you're a part of the process whether you're participating or not. Very often in life, we think we have a receiving problem. I thought that I had a receiving problem. I had to finance most of my own education. My father died 10 years ago, 11 years ago, last week. I had to finance all of my education. I, as you might expect, as a young, young man in high school and then into college in the seminary, worked in a lot of small churches, knowing that is where God wanted me, but struggling every day, every day. And I always thought that my problem was a receiving problem. God revealed to me two years ago this month that I never had a receiving problem, I had a giving problem. And if that's not true, you have God's permission to forget the whole thing because that's what the Word says. God's laws operate. They function. We're part of the process whether we're in on what's happening or whether we're not. And His laws will work as long as He remains alive. So it is with the law we consider tonight. The law of the harvest. The law of sowing and reaping. It applies not only to the physical, to the matter of giving and receiving things and possessions in money. But make no mistake, it does apply to that, or else what does Luke 6.38 mean? Now, this morning I threw Luke 6.38 in for nothing. Tonight I want to read it, and I want you to soak it up. Some of you may have this afternoon, as I ask you to. But I want you to listen to Luke 6.38, and I want you to remember that it is not produced from the mouth of any preacher who is dependent on any church for a living. It came from the mouth of the eternal Son of God. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. For with whatever measure you deal out to others, it will be dealt to you in return. If you have a problem with receiving and you tell me that you have no problem with giving, I will not believe it. Because the Word of God says, Give and it will be given. Not what you gave, but good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, the King James says, Will men... Give into your bosom. And it is a fact. God wants it in circulation, folks. It's not to be hoarded. It's all His anyway. In Haggai 2, He says, All the gold and all the silver are mine. I suppose we could stand here and share instances all night, some of you with years and experience and wisdom far beyond mine, of instances where you were personally acquainted with people that strove and worked for material success, and when they had achieved it, they found that in sowing and reaping of material things, they had not sown, thus they could not reap anything else, and their latter end was worse than they were when they didn't have anything in the first place. Remember a girl I went to junior high school with. They lived a half a block down in two houses over. 
Her daddy was one of the wealthiest men in Harrison County, Texas, a very successful man. By the way, a member of a church. His family was more active than he, for you see, he had given his life to making money. He had earned his living. He was in his 40s. Had a beautiful family. Had anything a man could want. He could have retired and set up trust for his children and his wife and sat home to look at his bank book and count his money or travel or do anything he wanted to do. You see, he made it. Started out as a teenage boy and devoted his life to a goal, and in his early 40s, he made it. One day coming in from school, we, I noticed a commotion around their house. Mother was driving me, and I said, What's going on down there at so-and-so's house? She said, When his wife came back from shopping, she found him dead with a gun in his hand and a cryptic note by the body to the effect that it just wasn't worth it anymore, that he'd had what he always wanted and it didn't matter. In those real instances right here in this town, there's some of you who could probably share, if you were at liberty, of some people that many may not be aware of who have experienced precisely and exactly the same thing. God's laws always work they are always valid as long as God lives. They will operate. And so I want us to examine not just in one area of life, but as it applies to everything that we are and every area of human life, the law of the harvest. I have never found a better method than to examine the text of God's Word. So let us look together at the passage that we have read. Notice in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5, here is what I have called the precaution. I have known a lot of people who had every good intention and every good desire and they always wanted to do the right thing. But when push came to shove, they had overcommitted, underplanned, and found themselves on paper with a seeming unavoidable problem that prevented giving living. And Paul, evidently in the early history of the church, in just a few decades and encountered the same thing. And so what, now let me give you just a little background. I won't belabor it, but what is happening is that there is a great persecution of the Jewish church in and around Jerusalem. They, there is an attempt to wipe them out. Jews who were Christians in the Jerusalem area and other places thereabouts had been deprived of their families, their homes, their jobs, and every way they had to make money as a matter of putting pressure on them and trying to force Christianity out of the country. And all of the churches that had been spawned by the missionaries of the early church in Greece and Asia Minor and Italy were taking up a continuing collection that was hand-carried to Jerusalem to support the starving saints there. So this is the offering that Paul is talking about. And he says, brethren, I don't want you to be caught red-handed. I don't want you to be caught underplanned and overcommitted. And so I'm warning you in advance now by means of this letter that there is a great need. You have agreed to help and you want to help. And so now in advance, plan for it. Put it aside. Turn it in. Let us put it in a fund so that when the need arises and we're able to take it to meet that need, it will be there. It is a plea for systematic giving. In the other Corinthian letter, 
Paul says every week when the church gathers, let a man give as God has prospered him. Here is the precaution that he makes. Do not put yourself in a position of having a legitimate debt to God. An obligation, whether it's a vow you have taken or something you know you ought to do and not be able to do it. You know, any amount of money sounds large. But you subdivide it by a great number of weeks and honor God as you know you ought. Plan for it and you will be able to do it. Here is the precaution and encouragement to systematic giving. And then notice in verse 6, here is the principle. Whoever sows sparingly will reap also sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap also bountifully. Now, you know we accept this in almost every area of life. But when it comes to the green stuff, we tend not to want to believe it. There's a lot of farming that goes on around here. And his family would have the farmer's head examined if he tried to sow a little bit and reap a whole crop. It just doesn't work that way. You know, if a farmer says to himself, last year was tough, I'm mortgaged, I've got notes outstanding, and I can't afford seed... He may as well check it in. Now that's reasonable, isn't it? And when you say, it makes no difference whether you and the Lord are having this conversation or you and yourself or it's a public conversation, I cannot afford to give. You're no better off than the farmer who says, I can't afford seed. Here is the principle. It is unbreakable. It will work at all times. Friends, this principle will work for people that aren't even Christians. You remember the instance when Jesus said, the children of the world know more about sound business principles and how to make something work than God's people do? Keep your hand here and look over to Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9, where the same writer is talking about the same principle. It is a principle that will reap for anyone, that will work for anybody. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Here is the principle, and you may get a handle on it by this way. This is worth remembering. The law of the harvest is this, and any farmer, anybody that lived on a farm, grew up on a farm, or has a garden in the backyard knows it to be the truth. You reap what you sow, number one. You reap what you sow. Number two, you always reap more than you sow. You always reap more than you sow. From an ear 
of seed corn comes many grains. And from one grain of seed corn springs the stalk with several ears and hundreds of grain on it. You always reap what you sow. If you want tomato plants, you plant tomato seeds. And you always reap more than you sow. Now, friends, that is a law. That is unbreakable. It is every bit as consistent and operative as Newton's third law of motion. And you know, by the way, Scripture says that the things that are are the shadow of the real world, of the spirit world. Sir Isaac Newton, a godly man, by the way, and a very outstanding scientist, discovered a law of motion. It is called Newton's third law, and it says this, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Be not deceived, God does not, is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Whether you're talking about the laws of motion or the laws of the universe, it's all the same and it all works every time. Here is the principle. It is the ship that leaves the harbor that brings back cargo, not the one that stays at home. In Proverbs 3, Verses 9 and 10. Mike read verse 9 for us this morning, but verse 10 just kind of rounds it out and makes it sound like the writer of Proverbs wrote 2 Corinthians. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Verse 10 says this, So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow. You want your barns full and your vats overflowing? Honor the Lord with your first fruits. Proverbs 19, 17 says this, and by the way, friends, you ought to memorize Proverbs 19, 17, and before you ever turn down somebody that needs help, now I'm talking about privately when nobody else knows about it, before you ever turn them down, you better remember this. He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him. When you help somebody that needs it, and by the way, when somebody needs help, don't you loan it, give it. When you do that, you're lending to God, and God will pay you back. God will pay you back. From the grain of corn comes the stalk with hundreds of grains. The ship that leaves the harbor is the one that brings back the cargo. And then look at verse 7. Here is what I have called the practice. Let each one do as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly under some kind of an idea of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Give cheerfully. I might add that giving cheerfully will be greatly aided if you recognize that you must give with patience. When you plant a seed... You plant it, bury it beneath the earth, water it. Do you go out the next day to dig it up and see how it's doing? Have you ever done that? Some of you are laughing. I'll bet I know why you're laughing. Because you either did the same thing that I used to do or that my four-year-old did last year. You know, in Sunday school, one of these days, I'm going to find that teacher and I'm going to belt her. 
they give the kids a little styrofoam cup full of dirt and they put a bean in it, you know. We had a hard time with that bean, folks. And before we got one to sprout, we had to replace several of them. Now, a farmer knows better than that, doesn't he? Even if a little child doesn't. And by the way, the practice of this, God loves a cheerful giver. Back up here with the principles, there, there's some ways you can short-circuit that principle. One of the ways is in the matter of secrecy. In Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4, the Lord Jesus said this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men in order to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give an offering, do not sound a trumpet as the hypocrites in the synagogue do and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. For truly I say to you, they have their reward already. But when you give an offering, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms or your offering may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you or repay you openly. You can short-circuit the whole process by being proud of yourself and making sure that everybody knows what you do. By the way, if you ever find yourself in need of help and one of those kind of folks wants to give you something, don't take it because you'll pay it back with interest. Whether it ever cost you a nickel or not, you will pay it back with interest. You can short-circuit it in the matter of secrecy, but God who sees in secret will reward you openly. Give cheerfully. Give secretly. Give with patience. That is the practice of giving. And then in verses 8 to 11, here is what I have called the promise. The promise. And what is it? He says, God is able. That, those three words are enough. God is able. In this case, He's able to do what? He's able to make all grace abound to you. To who? To the one who gives bountifully. That always having all sufficiency in everything... Now, folks, those are inclusive statements. Always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. That is the promise and that is the purpose of giving. You give to get, to give again and give more and give better to get more, to get better, to give more. And at any time you break the cycle, you're really going to break your own back. You're not going to hurt God. He doesn't need it. We have the idea down deep inside that God needs us. And God has a need for our fellowship, but when it comes to propping up His work, God doesn't need any of us. Believe this. Maybe someday you, somebody you don't pay will say it, and then you'll believe it. I want you to learn how to give for your benefit, not for anybody else's. If you're going to be godly, which means to be like God, you're going to give. For God so loved that He gave. 
The purpose of giving is to bless you. You give to get, to give again, to give more, to get more, to give more, to give better, to help more people, to get more, to have more to give. God is able to make all grace abound to you that you always having all sufficiency in everything may have an abundance for every good deed. That is God's promise. Expect God to bless. And when God does bless, give God the glory. Now in verse 10, he says something that we really ought to know, but it helps to see it in print. It is God that supplies the seed to the sower and it is God that multiplies the increase. The sowing process belongs to God and so does the reaping process. The seed is His and so is the harvest. He is the source. He is the owner. All of it belongs to Him. And just in case the people Paul wrote to missed it, about three verses before that, in verse 11. By the way, they didn't have verses when Paul wrote it. It would have been a wondrous help to him, I'm sure. But it's in the same paragraph, almost in the same sentence. He says this, You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Everything, all liberality. I would remind you that the Word of God is true. It does not exaggerate. It presents only the truth. And when the Word of God makes a blanket statement, you can know that there are no exceptions to it. Because, friends, God inspired the words of Scripture. And he's a bright enough fella to have kept Paul from saying this if it weren't the truth. You say, well, what if I don't believe it? Well, you'll go on being unhappy. You'll go on being about half miserable, if not all the way. And no matter how much you make, it'll never be enough. For remember, the law of the harvest does not only mean that if you sow, you will reap. It means if you don't sow, you won't reap. It works both ways. Here is the promise that if we practice the principle, God will honor us as we have honored Him. You say, Pastor, this sounds awfully carnal to me because it sounds like there's an element of self-interest in it. You bet there is. Can you imagine anything that is more in your own self-interest than giving yourself to Jesus so you don't have to die and go to hell? That's self-interest. One day when a rich young man had come to Jesus... And he had said to Jesus, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to join up. What do I have to do? Jesus said, fellow, you've just got one problem. You go get rid of all your money and then come back. Well, those disciples that had been living on a shoestring ever since they'd been with Jesus didn't like that a bit. They said to him, Master, that man didn't deserve anything. He wasn't willing to give up anything for you. But we have given up everything. What are we going to get out of it? Jesus said, Peter, I will pay you back a hundred times over in this life for everything you've done for me. And plus that, he said, after this life, you'll live with me forever. 
having abundant supplies so that you can bless other people's lives and minister to their needs is not carnal. Now, repeat what I started with. You don't have a receiving problem, you have a giving problem. You may be as I was two years ago when God revealed this to me and you had learned how to give, but still something was missing. You know, you'd learned how to give and give as God directed you, and I'd done that. It'd been a part of my life for years. But there was still something wrong. There still wasn't enough. Do you know why? Because I mismanaged in an ungodly way what I had left after I gave. Now, I went back and sat down with pen and paper, and I discovered that God had met all of his obligations to me in meeting my needs and blessing us as we had honored him with our giving. But every time he did, I made bigger debts and more debts and had more payments and more cash outlay, and there never seemed to be enough. That's why we need to get a handle on the fact that all of it belongs to God. You give as God directs you, but remember that the rest of it belongs to him, and you're to use it in a way pleasing to him. And if you will give as God directs, Live honestly on what you make. God will multiply and give the harvest and he will make good everything that he's ever said. For his laws are not affected by circumstance. They are not dependent on the economy. Now I would remind you of one thing. You need to put your... See where you want your heart.